Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, Feeling a little bored? Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome to this episode of the Bike Radar Podcast. Today, I am joined by Technical Editor-in-Chief Rob Weaver, and Bike Radar's Deputy Editor, Jack Luke, in lieu of Warren Rossiter, because Warren is away in America on a secret trip. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's secret, but it, it might be. It might be. Um, and today's podcast is, is uh, one of our tech Q&A podcasts, where you, our dear listeners and readers and subscribers and people who always hit that amazing like button, <laughs> have sent questions in to us so that we can answer your biggest technical queries. But before we get into that, Rob, what have you been up to recently? Good question. So um, I'm trying to think the last time we spoke. So we did all the rock shock stuff, I think, last time we chatted, didn't we? We talked about all that stuff. Yeah. What have I been doing since yeah. then? Oh, a knee pads group test. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Lo- Kind of how, doing how's lots the, of... How's the crash testing? Lots of sort of like uh, knee slides and football pitches. <laughs> exactly. Or... Football pitches and then mix it up, supermarket aisles as well, obviously. <laughs> See how far yeah, I get, get nice, the kids yeah. to market for me, uh, which is good. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, good for us, not good for the, the shoppers and the staff. Um, yeah. It's like temping yeah. bowling, but with, but with old grannies in supermarkets. Exactly. But no, no, not really. No, mainly just peddling around. Um, it, you know, don't really fortunately have to test for. Um, how protective they are in a crash circumstance because firstly i don't really want to do that and and secondly yeah. it's, it's kind of impossible to be able to recreate the same crash over and over again and obviously unless you're really bad at mountain biking. <laughs> yeah, exactly which i'm not saying i'm great at but let's uh you know being able to do that is a skill in its own right so um yeah, yeah that's so true. yeah 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 just a lot of pedaling um different knee pads on different knees at the same time just to make the comparative thing a bit bit more straightforward. Um, and then otherwise, 
How many knees have you got? Like yeah, five yeah, or six? yeah, five or six. <laughs> Stick them on my elbows as well, obviously. Uh, on my head yeah. too. Makes yeah. you know the vision a little bit tricky sometimes if they slide down. But obviously they get marked down for that. Yeah, yeah, two right, yeah. What one yeah. knee pad per yeah. year? Yeah. So yeah, you know, one ride, all the knee pads on at once. Eleven pairs done, ticked off, easy. Um, and then yeah, aside from that, getting ready to go away to do the Stone King Rally. So I leave on Sunday. And then it's uh, six days, like, I think it's 24 special stages that we're timed on. Yeah, a lot. Of- and there's there's something like over 1,700 metres of pedal climbing a day. But there's like, I don't know what it is, like an insane amount of descending and the rest of the climbing is uplift assisted. The, is that yeah, right? so I think the stuff quoted is, it, I think it's 1,700 metres in day one, 1,800 the second day. And then it's kind of, I think the third day is maybe like a bit of a rest day. So it's less than a thousand, but the rest of it's oh, just a rest. But the rest of it's, I can it's tell you the savage. numbers, actually. It's, I've just got it up because I want to hear, but it's uh, 262 kilometers long across uh, six days, 24 special stages. You said 8,000 meters of climbing overall, which is quite a lot. Uh, but 20,300 metres of descending, your hands are going to be in tatters. Just wear pillows instead of gloves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they'll look like a, a mozzarella pizza oh, God, by the no. end of it the palms of your hands <laughs> dear me i'm gonna Amazing. take so i'm taking another Amazing. set of grips with me which are a bit fatter and softer i don't like them as much but i think they might be a bit more forgiving so if, if i need to mm-hmm. swap them out then i can but assuming this, this is um, the other thing the packing for a six-day stage race where there's not only limits on what you can actually, you know, fly with for your bike and your 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 checked-in baggage, but also there's in fact lower limits as to what the, the logistics team are happy to lift from your tent into their van every day. So all of a sudden, I've gone from a massive bag with loads of stuff to a slightly less massive bag with a, a more inventive ways of carrying things. This, so. You've got a bum bag, basically, with a okay. bottle of water and a, like and a spare tube. I'm going to be maxing out everything I can on BA's hand luggage. There's going to be a serious oh, amount of getting carried on or worn. I say you look like Joey from Friends when he wears all of uh, all of Chandler's exactly. clothes. Yeah, that iconic yes. episode. Or with a stuff. turkey on my head. Okay, cool. That well, iconic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like Joey. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very good. <laughs> Um, and what about you? What about you, uh, Deputy, Bike Radar Deputy Editor Jack? What have you been editing? Uh, well, actually, I finished off last week. This is Monday recording this. I, uh, You'll be pleased to hear Dude Shreddington's went back and tickled my mountain bike roots. And I did a really good video uh, that will come out probably, yeah, will be after this podcast, um, where myself, my colleagues, Robin and Felix, tried to tackle the Transcambrian Way as a relay uh, race to see if we could beat the fastest known time. Um, I won't give any spoilers, but it was a very, very hard day out and very good fun. And I really, really enjoyed being back out on a mountain bike. I It's all I ever used to do growing up. And when I first started at Bike Radar, I used to still, you know, shred the gnar every now and then. But it's largely been uh, taken over by road and gravel riding. And it's been really nice being back on, out on a good, modern, fast steel cross-country hardtail and just yeah i had a great ride on saturday i'm all buzzing about mountain bikes so yeah, it was great what's fun. the distance and um, what was the time that you had to be or tried to be uh the, the 
So the distance is, from, well, it goes from Nyshen on the English-Welsh border all the way to uh, uh, Dovey Junction, Dovey Junction, can't remember how you pronounce it, near Aberystwyth. It's 166 kilometres, uh, and the uh, fastest known time is 8 hours and 32 minutes, I think, uh, from that page. It is very fast, a lot of climbing. I mean, it's more of a gravelly route than, than like mountain biking, but my I had the final stage, which was 66k, um, it was pretty rowdy. Some of the descents, I cannot imagine confidently riding those on a gravel bike. Really steep, loose, wild riding and very good fun. Did, did Matt do it um, on a gravel bike? I honestly, I actually don't okay. know. I don't know off the top of my head. But I know that the fastest known, because there's been a couple other attempts since, they got very close. They were all on like pretty standard gravel bikes. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, hard day out, but really good. But Matt's, Matt's a- you, you were blessed with amazing weather, weren't you? It was like beautiful, gorgeous weather. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I, I, my, <laughs> I don't want to give away too much, but I didn't start until quarter past five in the end for my stage. Um, so it was actually pretty nice for this pale Scotsman. It was fairly mild, dry, a bit of a tailwind at points. It, it was really good. The riding in that part of the world is, I've described it as like peak old school mountain biking it's like proper bridle way bashing lovely flowy single track but not too technical very high speed to descents and sort of like swarfy grass just just great fun and then loads and loads of fun fire road miles as much fun as they can be but like just good fun hard ride but this is the same map page right that's just set the new he set a world record for the most castles visited in wales I believe by bicycle. And, <laughs> I didn't yeah, know that. That's very funny. It, I think it's over the course of six or seven days. So he's just set a world record for that, and I believe he's also just taken the fastest time on King Alfred's Way. Oh, what a monster! Yeah, I'd like. I was in awe at the end mm. of just how fast he rode some of those sections. I'm going to just give myself a little rooty suit of my own <laughs> trumpet, but I often forget when I. Uh, I'm a terrible road rider. I really, I like, I push so hard and I ride so so fast. I never do well. I never get KOMs on Strava. See when I go mountain biking, like Alex Evans, I'm tickling those top tens. It's a real treat to remember. I'm a much better mountain biker than I am road cyclist. So good for the ego and good for the heart. come back over. Come and join in. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's room for yeah, everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There is, and there's plenty of there's plenty of top tens to take. Ooh, listen to that. <laughs> They're out there. They're out there. You just need to find the right ones. The ones where no one else and goes. And delete the ones you can't do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Well, thanks ever so much for that update, guys. It sounds like you are both incredibly busy uh, and I don't know, entertained, I suppose. And you know, having a having a great having a great summer. So that's a double thumbs up. Um, right, let's get on to the uh, the meat of today's today's podcast. Um, we've obviously got our, our you know Rob here, who's representing the, the fat tires, the mountain bikes, and despite Jack's recent foray into into off road, he is flying the flag for our roadie Q and A questions um, in in Warren's absence. Um, but I think we're, we're going to kick off kick off with Rob. Um, and this comment came from from uh, someone whose username is underscore Dirk underscore co i think i think that's that's right and this this person asks what is the best way to clean dry tubeless sealant from inside wheels tires and off a frame 
Now we've all been there, you know, we've all had like a messy tubeless setup and, um, you know, sealant gets everywhere and it's sticky. That's exactly what it's supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be sticky stuff. What do you reckon, Rob? Well, I mean, first and foremost, really, we should have directed this question at Tom Marvin, who is famous <laughs> for despising tubeless tyre setup. Um, if anyone follows him on Instagram, they'll be well aware. It's probably, I would say, what a once a week occurrence on his Instagram stories mm. of not particularly PG yeah. rated, I might add. The man has potatoes <laughs> for hands, but can uh, certainly swear quite creatively on his Instagram <laughs> when it comes to a duplicate setup. Yeah, there's normally a pool of sealant kicking around with a deflated tyre and a very angry Tom Marvin, obviously taking a photo and, and probably some quite deep breaths as he walks away. Imagine so, yeah. I can imagine that the rage is strong. Uh, and, you know, I, we totally. can sympathise as well. Because, yeah, if uh, you get that wrong, the wrong tyre, the wrong rim combo, and, and maybe that's something that we need to create a spreadsheet for, but just when they don't quite work mm. and you end up with gunk everywhere, cleaning it off isn't yeah. maybe as straightforward as it could be. Or, or you know, even if it, it does work and you're left with, you know, that uh, bitty residue that's after six or seven months of having sealant kicking around in your tyres and it no longer is doing its job, cleaning that stuff out isn't that straightforward either. It's not. It looks almost like a spider's mm. cobweb, doesn't it, on the inside of your tyre? Yeah. That's kind of very co- yeah. cobweb um, <clears throat> So for the inside of the tyre, I would say always the, go down the safest route first, which is just using hot soapy water and probably something like uh, a scouring sponge, you know, so the the more abrasive side of a sponge, the green bit, and just rubbing away at those little bits. It might take a little while, but it will ball up and eventually come out. Um, Probably stick something down if you're doing it outside so you can collect it up and stick it in the bin because some of that stuff uh, isn't maybe the most uh, planet-friendly. So, Mm. and equally, if you're doing it inside, uh, it's probably not the most um, partner, wife, or husband-friendly if it's getting flicked everywhere. So. Again, worth kind of getting something down and, and making sure you can clear it up properly. Um, I find generally that works. Or you can use, um, I've used, uh, uh, you know, sort of stiff washing up brushes before just to try and scrape it out and, and get rid of it. Was this was this before or after you did the dinner uh, washing up? Sh- before the washing up. It's, you know, bikes come first, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. You, know, you know what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> But if that fails, I would say, um, I know you do this, Al, a bit of brake cleaner into the tyre. Yeah. Um, It won't, it shouldn't degrade the rubber, hopefully. Uh, Give it a light coating and then using a scouring sponge, it should, after you've left it for a few minutes, wipe it out and it should be nice and clean, ready for the next load to go in. Um, I would probably give it a hose down and a clean after you've done that. Um, definitely and then similar with the frame i would always start with hot soapy water and if that's not working with the more stubborn stuff you you can go down that route and use some kind of isopropyl alcohol um which shouldn't have any effect on the frame uh, material whatsoever and just gently rub it on with an old cloth it could be you know like an old t-shirt or whatever it might be um and it normally tends to take care of business and get rid of it yeah, absolutely. And on kind of your, your scale of uh, of safety to danger, 
know, like you say, you've got your, your soapy water at the very, very safest end. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend drinking soapy water, but if a little bit splashed up, then it's not the end of the world. The isopropyl alcohol is kind of in the middle and then kill it with fire at the very top end. So if all else fails, just set fire to it. No, and, please don't. You know, I mean, you, you, you won't don't. have a bike, you won't have any tires, you won't have anything left, but... You know, there'll be no stringy bits of sealant left anywhere. So, you know, great. I'd say the word of caution would uh, probably come from carbon wheel manufacturers. While I'll, isopropyl alcohol, very, very unlikely. In fact, probably won't have any. It's benign, effect. isn't it? it I think be things fine. Like, precisely, but things like disc brake cleaner worth being pretty cautious and ensuring that you either wash it off or use enough water to dilute it thoroughly after. Very unlikely to have a negative impact in the long term, but the sort of thing that. Is probably just be worth being mindful of. Or just do as I do, pick out the biggest bits and then just chuck some new sealant in anyway because it'll probably be fine. <laughs> um, many, just briefly on this, years ago, uh, it used to be rumoured, and it was true in fact, that adding glitter to your sealant was a uh, top hack to improve its sealing qualities. Not very environmentally friendly when you consider that you got a uh, puncture and it would spray... Um, glitter all over the woods. So rainbows. St- it would just spray rainbows, beautiful rainbows over the trail. I resisted doing that after one one attempt at it because I was riding home and I got a sealant, uh, a puncture rather, on my rear wheel on a gravel bike I was riding and I got an incredible spray of glittery sealant right down the back of the down, uh, seat tube on the bike. This obstinate, sticky, glittery mess was very, very hard to remove. So, um, yeah, I didn't yeah. do that. I'll tell you again. what, if you have kids, you'll be surprised that uh, well, probably not surprised actually, but when they do arts and crafts when they're young, uh, glitter does feature very highly and it does seem to get honestly everywhere. I've been on trips before, pulled bags out of the loft, which the kids have been nowhere near, yet still there's bits of glitter in there. Somehow it's got there. I- I- I'm just looking around the room now thinking I could probably name it's embedded in your beard, Rob. It- yeah, I mean, I kind of, I'm not sure whether I'd rather the grey hairs or the glitter. I don't know, probably the glitter. But it does, it gets everywhere. But, yeah, it, it's probably not the not the best for the planet to be chucking that sort of stuff in. Oh, and one last thing, while you're cleaning your tyres out, don't forget to sort the valves out. Take the core out of the valve, give it a clean, make sure it's fully functioning because, you know, that doesn't work you're kind of screwed anyway doesn't matter what the what the sealant's yeah. going to do when you when you've topped it back up yeah absolutely and 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 let you know that is the point of tubeless sealant is to gum gum up holes and a mm. valve as a hole so it's going to gum it up there's very little you can do to to avoid that okay great well there you go dirk co i think you know that was maybe helpful um so great question actually you know it's, it's a really it's a, it's a good one it's a tricky one we all have that problem um, next, let's flip on to our skinny, tired uh, brethren. And this question is from Callum Hunter. And he says, crazy times, exclamation mark. I'm a mountain biker turned cross rider. And I believe he's talking about cyclocross here. Uh, and he's thinking of upgrading his road bike. Um, here in Australia, the Merida Sculptura and Sculptura Endurance cost about the same. Um throughout the lower half of their range, which one would you pick between the two? So he's, he's, he's kind of got a bit of a toss-up between the Sculptura and the Sculptura Endurance, basically. What do you reckon, Jack? 
Um, they're quite different bikes. You know, I wouldn't let uh, like specs necessarily guide your decision too much there, where if it's at the kind of middle lower end of the scale, Merida's generally speaking a pretty good value for money and you're unlikely to have much you know, between the two there in terms of uh, decision-making. I'd, I'd have an honest assessment of the type of riding that you want to do and that you would intend to do in the future. The Sculptura is, you know, a very racy bike by all intents and purposes. It was reviewed very highly by our own Simon von Bromley as part of this year's Bike of the Year test. And he noted that its handling is, you know, particularly nippy. It's a, it's a proper, proper race bike. The Sculptura Endurance, as the name suggests, is more... Endurance focused, more relaxed geometry, a little bit taller, larger clearances, and also a very nice bike, one that was reviewed well as well on site. You can see both those reviewers reviews on bike radar. Um, but the endurance is definitely the more versatile of the two. And if you're kind of thinking about the odd little gravel dalliance, maybe some longer distance rides, that might be a better bike for you. But if you're really more interested in the performance and smashing yourself to bits, on the big spicy climbs, I'd be going for the racier bike, but I'd, I'd really just base that on your your riding. As somebody coming over from the uh, the mountain biking world, not to make too many broad assumptions, but if you are more interested in the adventure back of beyond side of things, the endurance may be a better choice. But that is based purely on speculation. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, as a, as a mountain biker um, who's you know become being a cross rider maybe the expectation is that you can take your road bike down you know whatever gravel tracks there may be in your local area so um you know the endurance bike could be the better option yeah i would um, say so you know but i'd say the slight, slightly wider scope yeah both very good bikes though you know um different but both very very good bikes and head to those reviews on bikeradar.com where you can get the full scoop on them this episode is brought to you by twizzlers Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. Okay, and then just to, sorry, I'm maybe putting you on the spot here, but to answer Callum very specifically, Jack, which one would you pick? I'd pick the Sculptura because nothing looks cooler than smashing around with a low stem and going fast. But no, I like I I like a um a more sporty road bike. I prefer that. And if I wanted something that was more versatile, I'd probably buy a gravel bike. In fact, we go. did a good podcast a couple of episodes back comparing uh, endurance road bikes to regular road bikes. But we also tickled a little bit on uh, gravel versus endurance road bikes. And that sort of give you a bit more context as to our thinking on where endurance bikes sit in the market in general these days. Cool, great stuff. Well, we, we hope that helps, Callum. Um, fingers crossed, you know, there's stock of those bikes in, in Australia where you live and, and your, next, your next bike fulfills your wildest dreams because nothing <laughs> is better than having that happen. Um, right back to the mountain biking side and this question is from 200 millimeter travel gravity addict what a what a username it's really Amazing good it's really really good i wonder what type of riding um, he likes it, doing or she i i couldn't i couldn't guess mm. i couldn't guess um so this this person's actually asked a question that you know quite a few people overlook this and it's actually probably one of one of the more important things um about mountain biking uh this person asks what do mountain bike handlebar dimensions mean and why should I care about them? You know, I mean, that's a genuinely interesting question because, you know, okay, a handlebar can look great, 
But if it's the wrong shape, my God, it doesn't feel, feels terrible. feels terrible. Well, Alex, it is a great question. And whether, um, whether they should care, I think yes, personally. Um, mm. So uh, handlebars, it's kind of, it's actually quite complicated, really. There's quite a few different things to take into account when you're looking at a set of bars. I would say as a whole, the industry in terms of measurements are fairly close with one another in terms of what's on offer. But there's certain things like width, which you'll always want to tailor to your own preferences. So I would say most bars are going to be, generally brands will offer them in millimetres. And most, most modern mountain bike bars will come around about 800 mil wide, which is really... From an enduro and kind of trail side more than... Yeah, yeah. Cross country, they're probably between uh, 720 and 740, I would have thought. Um, 800 mil is really wide, though like seriously wide. And I don't know uh, if anyone had an eye on any um, bike specs from the recent Tweed Valley EWS event that went on a few weeks ago yeah. and just how narrow, narrow some of the top riders were going. I think Innis Graham was down to 680, 690. He got... Blimey. That's old school, that. Something like that. And I mean, he's a local guy and obviously he, he was on the podium in third place. I think Richie Rude... Richie Rude shifted from uh, close to 800 back when he was still racing downhill, when he won the Junior World Champs. He's been on, I think it was after his first visit to the Valley, he shifted to 740. And I think Jesse Melamed's around 720 now. But as always, this stuff is really, you know, really sort of personal. So it's it's one of those, buy a set of wide bars, you know, move all your grips in and your controls in. You don't have to cut anything down just until you find that place that you're happy with. And you can slowly move them out until you find the sweet spot and then cut off the overhangs. Obviously, it's better to leave them wider and work your way in rather than cutting too much off too soon and regretting it. So that's an expensive, expensive mistake there. You'd be buying a new set of handlebars every time you want them to be a bit wider. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, some, some brands will offer different width bars. So I know some, um, especially in carbon, sometimes the max width will be say 760. And if you're ever tempted to do that, I would say a good little test is get a tape measure out, set it out onto the floor, unravel it onto the floor and get up into a presser position. Don't look at the tape measure. Don't focus on it too much, but just try and find a position where you feel strong and comfortable in doing a press up. And that should give you some kind of, uh, you know, like a rough ballpark as to where your hands feel comfy, where you feel strong. And look at the tape measure and you'll have a rough idea. You know, if you're way beyond that um, 760 mark, probably don't buy those bars because, you know, you're never going to feel properly comfortable on them. But it's a good way to almost validate or, or you know, validate your findings, I guess, and, and just make sure you're happy with those measurements before you get the hacks all out start chopping away yeah Um, absolutely yeah other things to take into account rise is really critical so how high how tall the bar is so from measured from uh, the clamping point at the stem in the center all the way up to the tips on the end of the bar so typically you're talking about a range of 10 mil all the way up to 40 i don't think we see much higher than that these days 
I think there's maybe a few outliers on sale, but yeah, absolutely, 40s, 40s, pretty, yeah, pretty especially big, now, um, pretty big rise. People are riding uh, a lot of bikes with a 29 front wheel at least, so the front end's already pretty high because of the longer forks, etc. In order to accommodate that wheel size, so go too high, and it's always you know you're going to be raising yourself up, changing your ride position, and potentially. Uh, you can start to feel slightly awkward on the bike, a bit disconnected from the front tire and that contact patch on the front, which is, you know, the kind of the key to all things in terms of cornering, making sure you've got the grip over the front wheel. Um, equally too low. And, you know, if you've only got a 10 mil bar, 10 mil rise bar, it might mean that you are so far over the front that you feel like you're just going to flip over the bars anytime the gradient of the trail gets a bit yeah. steeper. Yeah, I kind of think like it almost feels like you're, you're kind of licking yeah. the front tire <laughs> yeah. when you're riding. Like, you're kind of staring at the top of it and almost licking it. You're like, so it's yeah, not a good exactly. Thing. And I mean, there are some workarounds. You know, some bikes will come with a 10 or 20 mil and it might feel a little bit low. But a lot of the time, manufacturers leave enough room on your fork steerer and put spaces above or below the stem that you can, you know, start to mess with your stem height and change that effective bar height. But it is a it is a key parameter and if you're happy with what you've got on your bike right now find out what rise it is and just you know potentially buy the same don't go too high too low um what else have we got a sweep, sweep i think sweep got, yeah so you've got up sweep and back sweep obviously um up sweep mm. how far the bar swings up from the center clamp point to the end of the bar and i would say this is normally around about five degrees roughly i would say if you look at a few different brands but what will change more is the back sweep so how far the bar swings backwards from that center point to yeah. the end tips of the bars um most i would say are between seven to nine degrees but you do have outliers from brands like sq labs who do i think they do a 12 and a 16 degree back sweep on the mountain bike side of yeah, things. Bonkers, yeah, bonkers, um, yeah. Lots of bike packing bars as well come with like practically Dutch upright, you know, really good for long distance days if you want a really upright position, perhaps not as relevant, sort of shreddy, shreddy mountain bike. Yeah, I mean, and it will inevitably change how you are holding the bar, your wrist position, and um, that can potentially be a good or a bad thing. You know, you can put more stress through your forearms if you don't necessarily have the bar in the right place and it could, you know, make your elbows dip down rather than stand proud and stand outwards. So it, you know, it makes your arms work harder in a different way. So again, it's a really critical thing. And unfortunately the easiest way to find out what works for you is to experiment. That might mean buying a bar, but ideally it would be jumping on other, you know, your mates bikes and having a go and see what they've got. Have you ever ridden a uh, bar with less than seven degrees back sweep? It's a good question. Not from no, memory. The reason I, um, I jumped on one of uh, Joe, former colleague Joe Norledge's uh, bikes, and he had these wacky, I think they were 3T bars, and maybe had like a four or five degree back sweep, and it was hideous, absolutely hideous feeling. Just your wrists feel so uncomfortable and so unnatural, kind of rotated, I guess, clockwise yeah. counterclockwise it just feels really strange um it's not as comfy and is it like it's not as comfy but it really highlighted to me like just how much of a difference back sweep 
really does make to, you know, even very small differences at that kind of end of the spectrum. It, it's pretty wild how much, a, how, how different. Of course. And then, and there's yeah, obviously definitely. bar roll as well, which isn't something you measure, but it's so, related, related to the position of your bar within your stem and how far you're tilting the bar forwards or backwards. And I think even if you just went through everyone's bikes in the office, everyone would have it slightly differently. I mean, I know I roll mine quite far back compared to Luke, who seems to roll his slightly further forward. I mean, don't get, I say slightly further forward. Riding a bike that Luke has set up is like getting on a rally burner that you're expecting to put E.T. in the front basket. <laughs> Proper 1980s BMX setup. I, I can't do it. It's just, I find it massively unpleasant. But I think... And, and then what's then what's really upsetting is you'll follow him down a trail for the first three seconds and he'll be gone. And he'll be like, oh, cheers, Ed Lee. Probably going to change nice. the role on cheers his bars. <laughs> yeah, Desperate <laughs> to get back to the, the Alan Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> bless him. But yeah, it, it's, it, as Jack said, it's those small, small differences really add up on the bike and mm. i mean i think the reason i roll mine back slightly further is i just find it more comfortable on long descents and and i think you know flatter more roll further forward makes it maybe a more a slightly more aggressive stance on the bike but it's more fatiguing for me yeah. and i've got to that age now where yeah. i think make it all soft and floppy and i'm, I'm more than happy nice and comfortable i'll just i'll just try my best rather than going super fast. Yeah. <laughs> Too scary. You're the uh, number one winner of yes. trying hard. There you go. That's the, the best accolade you, that you can get. Doing my parents proud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you tried. Well done. <laughs> Good work. Awesome. Okay, yeah. I mean, handlebars are, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a really personal preference as well. Like, there's definitely no set rule for any one person um, well, what one thing you can do is, like we we're just talking about, is rolling them forward and back, and that can help simulate an element of of back and up sweep, up sweep change um, when you're rolling them. But you know, obviously, j- j- just be mindful. Rob, Rob's put his hand up. Oh no, no said. you're totally spot on. I was just going to say the only other dimension, that, or the main one to be concerned about, I would say, was um, the clamp diameter. So when you are shopping mm. for bars. On, mount- on the mountain bike side of things, they're only going to come in either 31.8 or 35 mil. And that's just in reference to what size stem it will fit. So it's how fat, basically, the centre of the bar is where you're clamping it into the stem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely make sure you, you buy one that's compatible with your stem um, so you don't have to upgrade that as well or buy a new one. Hi there, we're going to interrupt this podcast for five minutes to bring you part two in our three-part series with Whoop. As you might have heard last time, Pete and Adrian from Bike Radar's commercial team are taking on the seven-stage Tour Trans Alp at the end of June, and they've teamed up with Whoop to track their training and progress along the way. Whoop is a fitness brand shaking things up when it comes to wearable devices. Pete and Adrian are wearing the Whoop 4.0, a non-invasive digital fitness wearable that delivers personalised insights. Just pop it on your wrist and it acts as your own health coach, monitoring your body's physiology 24-7 to report on fitness, training, sleep and recovery, all via the accompanying app. So Adrian, last time you told us how you're preparing for the race by riding up and down the toughest climbs in your area. Pete, you weren't able to join us last time as you were on one of your many training camps. So how's your training me going? Yeah, it's been going really well. Um, 
in February I was in Tenerife for a week, uh, which was pretty hard going, but got a lot of hours in, a lot of climbing. Last week I was actually in Belgium as well for, again, different type of terrain, but yeah, lots of climbing. Apart from that, really, I don't do any sort of structured training, but just getting the hours in. Um, I'll have hard days and then easier days, and I'll be looking at my strain and recovery to choose whether I need to go hard or easy on that day. Well, the Tour Trans Alpes, it's a really tough race in, in Italy. It takes in some of the most difficult climbs in the Alps, the likes of the Stelvio and the, the Mortarolo. And Pete and Adrian will be teaming up for the race and, and racing it as a pair. They're very different riders, though. Pete is at home in the mountains, but Adrian, something you touched upon last time, is that perhaps you're more built for the flatlands. So how have you been using the, the Whoop 4.0 to train as effectively as you can in the build-up? Yeah, so obviously um, Whoop is completely individual. The strain level and all that stuff is is all individual. And I've been mainly using my Whoop to track my sleep to make sure I'm getting the hours in um, and recovering as as fully as I can and then also there's a, a journal feature on Whoop which allows you to to track a lot of lifestyle choices different food rest and drinks and other things like that so I've been using both those features to try and uh, maintain a level recovery and, and be able to uh, train as as hard as I can. Since you've been using the band have you noticed any difference in any of the metrics that it delivers I think offline we were talking about the impact of alcohol on your training. Yeah, I've I've noticed that unfortunately drinking beer seems to have a, a massive negative effect on sort of the HRV and also the resting heart rate metrics. So it's a, a little bit worrying and a little bit uh, off-putting. So I've sort of uh, ditched the beer for the last few months to try and um, maximise my performance. How about you, Pete? Do you feel prepared for riding more than 600 kilometres through the mountains? I think I've done lots of training. I'm riding 15, 16 hours a week. Um, but the most I've ever ridden in one week before is kind of 20 hours. I think it's going to be more than that. So I'm as prepared as I can be, given you know the time I have. But yeah, it's definitely going to be a challenge. And the altitude is going to be a factor as well. I think that the Stelvio, just as one example, goes well over 2,000 metres. Adrian, do you think that's going to have an effect on your performance on the day? Yes, what I've been been told and what I've seen from the the whoop stats from the Giro is as you go over any altitude, you know, we're going up to 2,700 metres, I think the Stelvio is. So um, at altitude, your heart's going to work harder, your strain's going to be higher. So um, trying to maintain those uh, metrics and keep performance quite high, I think is going to be um, a key over seven stages. Great. Well, the, the race is fast approaching, so we'll leave it there. But next time, we'll check in with Pete and Adrian after the race to find out how they've done. And remember, listeners to the podcast can get a 15% discount on any Whoop membership when they use the code BIKERADAR during checkout. T's and C's applied. Now, back to the podcast. Great stuff. Okay, so next question is from Jose Escobedo. And I hope I got that right. A bit of a bit of a sort of foreign spice in there. Foreign being n- not from the UK, um, since that's where I'm from. Um, and Jose asks, he's got one for us. Exclaim! I like it when people start with a statement with an exclamation mark. I'm into that. Um, he wonders, what's the best and most economical way to protect a carbon frame whilst you're bike packing? So from the bags, from rubbing and scratching it or damaging it to that extent. Um, I think I said damaging about five times there, but uh, I think you get the idea. How do you stop your frame from getting damaged when you're bikepacking? Thank you, exclamation mark, from Jose. Well, as it happens, we recently hired Ish, Ish, started this year, 
Oscar Huckle, who is one of the digital writers on BikeRider.com, but interestingly for this question, he was formerly employed by Carbon Bike Repair UK. So he's a man that knows quite a lot about bike uh, carbon damage and carbon repair, funnily enough. And I asked him uh, this particular question and he gave some interesting context and a very helpful answer. First off, he says that carbon generally is a pretty terrible material when it comes to withstanding abrasion. Uh, ab- abrasion. Is that how you say it? Abrasion. Yeah. Abrasion. Abrasion. Yeah. abrasion. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it is definitely something to do before any kind of bike packing trip. Uh, I mean, with any bike anyway, if you want to look after the paint, but particularly with carbon, where you're more likely to do structural damage. And he says the inside of your chain stays, seat stays and fork where the tire, any kind of like debris could get jammed in there, but also any points with the... Um, uh, frame bags are touching are worth protecting he says the best thing uh, is Invisiframe which is essentially expel tape is definitely the best thing to do but urges you to uh, make sure your frame is very very clear uh, clean prior to uh, putting on because you don't want to trap anything under there but also it'll stop any sort of like weird reactions between it and the lacquer occurring um, though he does warn that that expel tape stuff does have a tendency to peel off a bit of the lacquer when you come off. So you have to be very methodical and very, very careful with it as you're quite likely to damage that outer layer. But structurally, that will hopefully stop you from wearing through to the carbon base, which would be a much more expensive and painful repair if you really do damage and, things. And they do, uh, Sorry to jump in. I was just going to say, they do, do they do um, bike-specific kits? I think they do, right? So I think... in. Yeah, Invisiframe will basically do a kit that's cut specifically to your frame. Um, you know, it's kind of modelled and there's all these like nice patches. You see it for sale quite often online, actually, uh, from various brands. But I think that that XPL tape stuff is just sold by the roll and it's up to you to cut down. I mean, speaking from experience where I'm, I might have trashed a review bike once doing oh, this. Oh, I remember that. Uh, Oh, you did, didn't you? Oh no! In fact, I've done it. I've done it twice, actually. Uh, yes, once I did a uh, I did a really good ride, great video that's worth revisiting. Lord of the Loops, um, which is a really gritty, nasty ride around the Peak District, um, and I had a handlebar bag, which I thought was fine, and I finished the day, and I had wore a hole almost all the way through the head i was i was mortified i was so embarrassed um but i was a bit focused on shredding the gnar and making a video and yeah i didn't realize that uh 120 kilometers of peak district grit had worked its way behind that was really bad um, I think that framework. Yeah, that's a good one. That's an awkward that's email. A, yeah, no. I've not heard that story before. <laughs> yeah, well, that's quite an awkward email. I did not feel good about that. Um, and then another time, I didn't wreck the frame, but I wrecked the paint a bit doing a bike packing trip on a nice carbon Vetus. Um, and I had, it had it was like three Velcro strips, quite a lightweight bag. And it wasn't even that wet a day, but just the sort of gentle vibrations back and forth, just put these micro scratches into the lacquer. And you had these sort of like hazy strips all the way around. I did manage to mostly polish that out. But um, yeah, lesson learned there. And I just put some duct tape on in the end to sort of protect that, which is fine, but it's not as sort of like, that itself is not as abrasion resistant as the Invisiframe stuff. That's more like a rubbery, almost malleable plastic. Um, Whereas duct tape is just very strong with multiple layers but not super super abrasion resistant um so that's the answer expel tape and that is x-p-e-l tape 
Um, and I, I just add something here as, as a guy who rides uh, flat pedals and wears through pedal cranks, mm. uh, actually wears holes in pedal cranks. And chain stays. Uh, and, and chain stays eventually. Um, another really good good one is uh, rubberized mastic tape. Mm. Um, and it also provides like an element of grip as well to your for your frame bags or whatever. So I, I wrap my chain stay or my pedal cranks in this tape. Um, and it's it's kind of malleable and soft, so you can stretch it and form it to the That's shape the of the frame. That's the 3M stuff, right? And it's yeah, yeah, 3M exactly. Yeah, and it's really hard to wear through. Interesting, I didn't um, know that. And it will it will give your bag straps a bit of extra grip as well, so they're less likely to shake around and cause damage elsewhere. Mm. Um, Great chain so, protector. Yeah, definitely worth looking at. Mm. Amazing, yeah, and, and that's exactly what mm. I used to use it for. I think um, Marsh Guard uh, called slapper tape. They, they called it, which is to stop the chain from slapping onto the the chainstay. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think you can just buy you know rolls of it from from 3M. Uh, it's like rubberized mastic, and it's it's mm. really good for that. Um, yeah, that's that's a good one, Jose. Um, yeah, it's you know, and uh, the the consequences for uh, not protecting your frame are quite severe, as uh, as, as Jack found out. Oh, I'll find the photo for you. I might be, I might be put it in the podcast plug. I'll see if I can find it. It wasn't a I good day you, though. I was quite embarrassed. You, you were properly hat in hands. Oh dear, what have I done? Who do I email? How do I apologise for this? I remember you coming in, going, "Oh no, it was bad. Yeah. It was bad, wasn't it?" It was Joe. What, it was bad. Joe had had that bike for, it was one of his long-term test bikes. That would have been 2018, maybe 19. And he'd had it for the full year. It was due to go back. I needed to borrow the frame for this particular project. We were putting a rotor group set on it. And I was like, I'll be done with it and I'll send it right back. I promise. I'm sorry we've had this bike for so long. It's like, here it is. It's got two big holes in it now. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> and the problem was for Amazing. us was I think either the same year or the year before, certain person who had one as a long-term or not that specific bike, a different bike from the same brand. And it had gone back. It'd been returned to them basically in boxes, various boxes of the different component parts that had been destroyed. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we were flavor of the month there. So if you're listening, bike brands, don't send anything to us. No, please, please do. Please, please do, do, especially now, because it's very hard to get yeah, stuff. Especially at, the, especially at the moment, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, good stuff. There's a yeah, that's a that's a, a, a deep one there. Um, next question is from another amazing username here. I love I love the creativity of this one. Uh, it's Scary MTB sixty nine, and Scary MTB sixty nine has asked, and this is a legit question because you know I, I mean there's so many answers to this one. So we'll see we'll see where we go with it. Um, should I be riding without a backpack? Um, should I be doing this and where can I put all of my stuff? And, you know, you'll be at a trail center or wherever, you know, riding with your pals somewhere and there'll be people with bags and there'll be people without them. And you kind of look at the people without them and you're like, where's your tube? Where's your water? Where's your pump? Where's your snacks? Um, and then you look at the people with the bag and you're like, why have you got your kitchen sink? <laughs> so, um, what do you reckon, Rob? You know, it's, it's a, it's a tricky bit of a minefield. It is. I mean, <clears throat> I think... The whole point of not having a bag is so you can ride more freely and you don't get a big sweaty patch on your back while you're riding, which I completely understand. But equally, you need to have, I guess, you need to think through what it is you need to carry and make sure you've got the right provisions in order to do that. Otherwise, just, you know, put your bag back on. You don't necessarily have to do what everyone else is doing, right? So... 
think first and foremost, you need to be able to carry some kind of water. So if you don't have a bottle cage, you need to think, okay, so maybe I need uh, a, a bum bag or a fanny pack, whatever you want to call it, hip pack with a bladder in, or at least provision to carry a water bottle. Um, then when it comes to actually carrying the essentials in terms of tools and stuff like that, a lot of brands now will do dedicated frame straps where you can stuff a tube, tire levers, CO2, or a pump, whatever it might be. Um, you can get it nicely wrapped up and securely fitted on your bike. But back to the previous question, sometimes those straps, especially if they've worked a little bit loose or you're riding in you know, the depths of winter and they're getting muddy and gritty, they can rub your frame. So there's some brands now that will put what look like additional bottle mounts on but in fact they're for gear mount so you can some brands will do almost like a fixed plate with a strap so you know it's not going to move so you can screw the plate on and then you can just wrap your kit in that strap and it doesn't have to wrap around the entire circumference of that tube which is kind of handy and then there's also the frames which have um, internal storage so they normally have bags inside of those so you can stuff those full of all the essentials and the snacks wedge them into your frame and they're good to go so you know so there's a there's actually a, a bike releasing tomorrow so we're recording this on on monday the 20th and uh, this is this is in reference to tuesday the 21st of june which is the summer solstice um it's the new santa cruz high tower which uh which has has a onboard frame storage um and it has a uh, i think it's called a tube purse i believe is the official I think terminology they have two so i think there's one which kind of is the longer of the two there's, there's, a, there's a tool there's a tool guy yeah there's a tool, yeah, so tool there's roll. A, a really good tool roll which is zipped up it's like a zipped up stash thing which you normally i think you stick up towards the head tube and then there's the purse so you have almost like a waterproof pouch so you can stick your cards or your mm. cash or whatever it might be some essentials and other bits and bobs, and that can then stash down close to the bottom bracket. And they've got tabs on, so you can like whip them out, and yeah, you can stuff them yeah. so they uh, they sit tightly into that down tube, and they won't rattle around. It's it's really smart, yeah, rattling yeah, around, really really yeah. smart. Yeah, and specialized SWAT system uh, works in a you know pretty much identical way. You have a little bag um, in there that you stick your same with Trex. Do any Trex yes, mountain yes, bikes? Do any Trex mountain bikes have that? I know they do on the roadside, like the Damani and the checkpoint has the little snatch, stash, snack spot, whatever they call yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the Trek do the same and, and, um, they were actually some of the first to do it in their aluminium frames as well, which is cool. cool. And giant are doing the same now as well in their carbon, their carbon trail bikes. I've, I rode a stump jumper years ago with the SWAT box and I uh, put a whole baguette in wow. it. Wow. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we'll, we'll be like uh, time trial bikes soon. We'll have little straws coming out of the stem. <laughs> Why not? And uh, every, Why not? every time you want to have a sip, you'll just uh, but, yeah. just get a little. Um, there's also the option. Um, so say you do have a bottle cage mount. You can also then, you can get different brands, I think like Zephyl, Topeak, uh, Syncross, where you can bolt accessories to that. So whether that's a pump holder, whether that's a pump holder and a mini tool holder, or uh, sometimes they'll do the whole shebang and sometimes they'll be captured in a little tool storage unit or in a little dry bag. And then brands like Physique who do um, bolt-on mounts for their saddles. I'm not sure if it's all their saddles or just specific maybe trail enduro ones. 
So you can add on things like uh, they do one with a multi-tool and you can screw two CO2 canisters in there. It looks like you've kind of tried to bolt a turbo onto your saddle. Looks quite racy. Yeah. The, that's well, amazing. Yeah, I mean, awesome. it didn't work. Trust me, I've tried. But, um, oh, right, okay. <laughs> so there's, there's loads of alternatives, but I think the long and short is if you feel really comfy wearing a pack, don't feel like you have to ditch it. You know, if you've got a good pack that doesn't, yeah. you know, shift around loads, just, you know, crack on and, and go with it. And, and especially yeah, if you're on, if you're looking to go and do a bigger ride, don't feel that you need to scrimp on kit and end up being stuck in the wilderness just because you haven't ridden with a pack, you know, that the, yeah. Or, or, or being that guy that relies else. on someone else to bring the tube, the tool, don't or worry, whatever. Steve's carrying it. Oh no, Steve's forgotten yeah. it. The ride, the ride I did the other day, I had a, um, a camelback, which I haven't ridden with in years and years and years. And actually I kind of forgot that for a long ride, we don't really want to stop. Sure. Two bottles is fine, but they do also get covered in sheet too, which isn't very nice. <laughs> Having a camelback, like, you know, bladder of any kind was, was actually really refreshing. <laughs> but uh, it, it was great. And, you know, just being able to pack extra layers and not stress, like, you do forget that it's fine. Bags are a lot better than they used to be as well. Like, really, it sounds mad, you know, humans have been carrying stuff on their backs for a very long time. <laughs> but, like, bags were bad back in the day for mountain biking and they've definitely gone exactly and and obviously the you know the bum bag coming back you know it's no longer an essential 80s early 90s fashion item um there is a use for it as well aside from looking super cool um Mm, yeah but again it's one of those things there's there's limitations as to how much you really want to stuff in something that's going to be sat around your waist i'm kind of Mm. of the opinion that I'll wear the smallest bum bag I can with just the essentials in for shorter rides, but I'll chuck a, a camelback or like a, a proper hydration pack on if I'm going to go and do something a bit bigger. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, d- I don't think, yeah. you know, it It maybe isn't as comfy. You maybe don't feel quite as free, but ultimately, like Jack said, if you don't feel like you need to scrimp on the stuff, you at least have that peace of mind at the end of the day, which counts for a lot. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Well, there you go, scary MTB at 69. <laughs> Just you be you. you. You lead your good life and you be you. D- don't, don't worry about what the crowd are doing. If you want to wear a pack, you go for don't it. Don't be a sheep. Good work. <laughs> yeah, watch no, out no, for the sheep. No, no, don't be a sheep. Don't be a sheep either. Um, oh, don't be a sheep. And watch out for the sheep. Yeah, everything. Okay, and then our, our final question is actually from an, an anonymous user. The, this, this person didn't, didn't wish to be named. Um, we're okay with that as well. Um, and they've asked, when I look down on my back wheel, when cycling, it's a bit wobbly. Is this likely to be a bent wheel, spoke issue, or something else? And if it is one of those things, how do I check? I can't really see whether there's anything wrong with it specifically. And, you know, we've all been there. We've all looked down at our wheels when we've been cycling. And more often than not, they're going to be wobbling around. And, and to be honest, it's actually quite an easy fix, isn't it? It's it's not uh, well easy easy if you take it to a bike shop or you're a trained mechanic. I'm glad you got my message out. That's good because I need I need an answer on this as <laughs> yeah. quickly as possible because we go to print really soon <laughs> on in the UK. So, Jack, go. <laughs> I'd say that the first thing to check is is it actually your wheel that's wobbling? It could just be the tire. You know, tires mm. are uh, like can exaggerate essentially the effect of any 
misalignments in your wheel if the wheel is slightly out of tree it'll look more extreme at the tire end just because it's a larger thing moving side to side but also like tires tend to be pretty i don't know what's the word like accurate if you like or built to tight tolerances but it's not unusual for the tread for example to maybe wibble wobble a little bit back and forth and if you're really focusing on it it can just be that likewise it could just be that the tire isn't fully seated squarely in the rim that's your really really easy one to get caught out by particularly if it's a new tire it wasn't you know if it was stored quite kinked which is quite common for new tires it can be really hard to get those to seat properly and particularly if you're not pumping it up hard enough essentially or if you're not using soapy water or whatever whatever to help it seat it can often be that um but if you've determined it's definitely not the tire more likely than not it is probably just the wheel going a little bit out of true it's not really fatal and it's less of an issue now on the roadside now that disc brakes have taken over with rim brakes you know you're more likely to get brake rub but of course you do want to look at it because if it's out of true it suggests it's probably out of tension or unevenly tensioned and bike wheels are very very strong and will kind of withstand a lot of abuse but you don't want to get down so far where you know one half of your wheel spokes are super super tight and the other side is really loose because that's where things begin to get uh, worse so the best thing to do is to true your wheel which sounds really scary but it's not the worst job in the world is it al uh, it's it's not. It's definitely not. I mean, you kind of have to rely on the principle. Like you have you have to understand how a wheel's built to to be able to do it at home. Um, and you, you think you know you've got you've got two sides to a wheel. You've got a left side and a right side, or a drive and a non-drive. If you're going to be uh, not confusing your lefts and rights, um, and and basically, uh, if, if one side's really tensioned, one one side of spokes really tensioned, it pulls the wheel towards the tension. And if one side's loose, it can let the wheel pull to the other side. Um, so, you know, if you've got a buckle, you tension the side to the opposite way to it's buckled. So if it buckles to the non-drive, you tension the drive side spokes where the buckle is. Um, and you can also loosen the corresponding non-drive spokes to help bring it across if the drive side ones are really tight. So the way to check, I guess, would be to check your spoke tension. So with the bike in the stand or with it upside down, make sure you don't damage anything on your handlebars if you've got computers mounted there, if you're flipping your bike upside down. Spin the wheel really slowly and just squeeze squeeze the spokes in spare, in pairs. Um, and, you know, that will be able to tell you whether they're reasonably similarly tensioned. You'll be able to feel it through your hands. Um, and that's a really good starting point because if one is absolutely crazy loose, then you know that maybe that's the culprit. Um, and, you know, you could begin tightening it. If they're all fairly tight, then you might need to look at going down, taking it to a bike shop if you're not particularly experienced or buying a wheel truing stand to help improve the accuracy of your truing. And then you kind of get into fine fine tuning, basically. Mm. I mean, you, you can well. also do the old cable tie thing, right, on the frame. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Wrap a cable tie around the frame right next to uh, the rim where the rim meets the tyre. So it's just butted up close enough so it's pretty much touching the rim. Then clip it off and then give your wheel a spin and you'll be able to see how far out of true it potentially is. Um, And I would say if it's miles out and really, really going hell for leather, left, right, left, right, probably go to a bike shop because sometimes these things are a real pain. You're kind of chasing that buckle around the wheel as you start going into it it isn't as jack said it isn't 
as daunting as it may sound. It is relatively quite straightforward. But if the wheel is that far gone, it can be um, a lot of time, effort and money potentially down the drain. So getting yeah. a professional yeah, to look definitely. at it is no bad thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, as, as the anonymous user um, says, it, they can't really see anything wrong with it. And that's absolutely true, you know, unless you've got a snap spoke or something really obvious, um, except for the buckle, the wheel's going to look pretty pretty wheel-like. Um, so, you know, j- just periodically te- checking your spoke tensions is, is a good place as like a preventative measure um, just to make sure that, you know, the, the nipple hasn't potentially wound off the spoke um, if it's not got Loctite or whatever, or you've maybe had a big impact or something, um, you know, just to, just to keep it. And if the spoke it, snaps, yeah. you normally hear it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and if you don't hear it snapping, you'll definitely hear it going in the cassette, in the, in the uh, disc or the derailleur or whatever else. parts off your bike. Yeah, we've been there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Rear wheels experience. must truly fear you, Al. You really are an abuser of all things wheels and tires. Yeah, wheels are wheels are not happy here. <laughs> it's not it's not a good place for wheels in my house. <laughs> they uh, they come here to die a miserable, quick death. It's not even a slow death. It's quick, but it's miserable. Um, yeah. All right, that was a bit of a flex, wasn't it? Anyone else want to come at me with your wheels? <laughs> <laughs> and I like you said a bit you of a flex. You not for you mate yeah just, <laughs> a yeah. bit more than a bit <laughs> yeah right yeah a bit yeah. of a snap whoops not mentioning any names lovely stuff well that uh, that concludes our six questions for this episode of Bike Radar uh, Tech Q&A podcast uh, massive thank you to Rob and Jack uh, for imparting their extensive knowledge um, and accurate uh, answers. <laughs> Let's not go too far. Um, yeah. Answers. Just yeah, answers. No, well, yeah, yeah. yeah, just answers. Yeah. Uh, no, great stuff. Thank you so much, guys. Um, and thank you to for, for listening. Um, if you do have any tech questions, please just send them in to us. Um, I think, I, I can't remember what the email address is. Jack will probably know better than me. Not off the top of my head. Like uh, send them into news at biteradar.com, I think or is what it is. Or via the social channels, um, right? Oh, yeah, or social media. Yeah, there you go. I forgot about that one. Yeah, or, or, you know, slide into our DMs on social media and see, you know, see, see what stuff that you can tax our, our incredibly uh, taxed brains with. Not too much, um, please. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but, yeah, no, thank you. Uh, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please uh, give us a thumbs up or a like or whatever, um, a rating maybe, um, a good one preferably, if you enjoyed it, would be nice. Um, and uh, yeah we hope you listen to the next one so thank you thank you Rob Cheers thank out. you Jack bye Alex bye thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast if you've not done so already please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode bye